Hello ladies and gentlemen and welcome to another episode of Straight Talking English. I am your host Catherine. I am STRA Talk English on Twitter if you would like to tweet me. And if you like the sound of this episode, book six, Love and Relationships, AQA, Poetry Cluster, Full Context Guide is out so, so, so soon. I can almost taste it. So keep your penny spare for that one. All our other books, including Our Power and Conflict, can be found on straighttalkingenglish.co.uk along with the context videos that go along with our poems. You can see my face and it's linked to my YouTube. If you like what I do, click support the show, buy me a coffee, join up as a Patreon. It is blooming awesome. Right down to business. We have Sing Song. I mentioned last week, this is my least favourite of the love and relationship poems. It always has been. I think it always will be. I just don't like it. And I wasn't quite sure what to say about why I don't like it. So I actually wrote this down in advance to try and clarify my thoughts. I do actually script these shows. (laughs) Occasionally though, I can never even uh, stick to my own scripts. Sing Song is problematic for me. So on one hand, and our poet Daljit Nagra wrote the poem to be read aloud in an Indian accent. This is a stylistic choice. He is more than within his right to do. He explicitly wants us to appreciate the beauty of this accent. However, this poem's written in 2007. I'm recording this June 2020. 13 years is a lot of time when we're thinking about consciousness around racial difference. When I'm recording this, Black Lives Matter is very much strong. We've just had the protests in London. There are protests going on in the USA. And what may have been acceptable in 2007 may not be now. January of this year, 2020, Apu, the shopkeeper from The Simpsons, was cancelled due to the voice actor's concerns about racism. I'm white. I'm very very white actually. I've got to put on my factor 50 before I even venture outside on this hot summer's day. And I'm very aware that if I try and quote unquote do an Indian accent, there is no way it will come across as serious or a reflection on the poem. It will always sound like a mocking it. That said, I was trying to reflect on this. Why am I okay with reciting some bits of John Agar's checking out me history like Seafar Woman? And I think that comes from being a Londoner. So I actually went to a grammar conference on this a few years ago. What's come about as a result of our wonderful blending of cultures in the capital is our own slang, our own way of talking. It's not just London that has this, by the way. Amsterdam has it as well. And the way we talk is this weird blending of Mockney and kind of like second generation Caribbean discussion. We could describe someone as being a roadman. And if someone comes up to me from whatever background and says Wagwan, like we're going to be fine with this. And this is the thing that's unique to London. It can be considered its own linguistic subset, which I mean, if you're into that kind of thing, and I am, it's fascinating. However, practical issues. When I was looking for voice actors for this series, nobody wanted to try this poem. My voice actors have come from a multitude of backgrounds, genders, nationalities, but nobody wanted to pick this one 
up. Well, that, I'm going to say that one kind of says a lot. So uh, feel free to tweet me your thoughts on this one. This is why I don't like it because it's very problematic. Now I've said my piece and had my little rant, let's focus on where Nagra is coming from. So we know his parents are Sikh Punjabis and they came to Britain from India in the late 1950s. He was born in 66 and he grew up near Heathrow Airport. However, in 82, when he would have been 16 by my reckoning, the family moved up to Sheffield where they bought a shop. So it's reasonable to assume his experiences as being like a shop kid, of being, you know, being essentially Mr. Singh, a young man working in a shop, one of his daddy's shops, that that may well have informed it. However, and this is one of these things where I'm so glad sometimes that we're doing contemporary poets, in an interview in 2016, thank you BBC, he has explained all of this poem. I don't feel bad for reading it out myself because Daljit Nagra does not really have an accent. He speaks in quite an RP kind of way. So, I'm off the hook. I think that in Britain, there seems to be a stereotype that all Indians are shopkeepers or doctors or lawyers. And for me, my parents were shopkeepers and I wanted to write sing song to celebrate that and not to be embarrassed by it. There's two kinds of things, really. Either we can pretend that's not happening and write about Indians being, you know, astronauts or whatever, or to actually go via the stereotype. I wanted to capture a very ordinary situation. I think of the first generation of Indians that came to Britain, people like my family. My parents were given vouchers to come over for free to work in the 24-hour factories and on the underground. And it's not the sort of job you imagine yourself doing to 65 and retiring on. You probably wouldn't survive it's such hard work. The aspiration or ambition for a lot of my parents' generation was to become independent. And the best way to become independent was to buy your own shop. By writing about who's an Indian, writing about an Indian who's a shopkeeper in an Indian accent, it could imply I'm making fun of my character. But hopefully people can see through that and see through their own prejudices. The issue for me was it's always kind of racialized the Indian accent. It's always made fun of on telly and to me there's nothing wrong with the Indian voice. I'm quite excited about the idea of having to make the reader read the poem in an Indian accent and have to deal with it and hopefully the reader feels there's nothing wrong with the accent. It's another type of English. Hopefully they enjoy putting their mouth through those words and feel like they experience a different kind of music to what they normally do when they're reading a poem. I think when I was writing this poem I was trying to offer an affectionate portrayal of the characters in that I liked Mr. Singh. I kind of liked what he was about. The fact that he didn't really care about his shop, that he put love before business. I was also kind of aware that you don't get happy love poems in English poetry. They tend to be quite moody or, you know, grim because someone's died. With someone like Thomas Hardy, you realise that, that you were in love with that person who died. That's the classic English poem. So I decided to write a kind of love poem in the end and put it in a shop context. And this is the thing that Nagra does, this is the thing that he's known for, is mixing languages. So as I keep saying, if you look at the whole collection from which our one poem is taken, 
for the GCSE anthology. And I totally get why they're doing that. You can't necessarily accept someone an entire collection when they're 16. If you look at the collection as a whole, you do get an appreciation of the context of what the writer wanted to achieve for a specific set of poems. This one, as I mentioned, came out in 2007 and the title of the collection is Look We Are Coming to Dover. The Guardian at the time said, like his stylistic forebear Dylan Thomas, uh, pause for a second, super Welsh poet who tended to write things in a sort of like stream of consciousness super Welsh style. Like his stylistic forebear Dylan Thomas, Nagra's creative latitude with words lends surfaces of his poem colour and movement and opens up new vistas for his readers, transforming language from the barrier it was for his parents' generation into a conduit, a space in which the duality of the immigrant's experience can reside. And I'm going to come back to that duality thing in a little bit when I focus on my bride because I really like her. Let's just keep thinking about Nagra. He did one of these life in the day things in the times where someone describes what a normal day in their life is and we can like extrapolate stuff about their life and they'll have like famous people, politicians, cricketers, whatever. And it was Nagra and he says for six hours I sit on myself on a dining chair and tap away on my laptop with music in the background. I rarely write without music. I love playing lively rock albums to get my heartbeat racing, to get me out my normal logical mind so I enter the dimensions of the poem and walk around inside them. It might sound weird, but I tend to play the same album for a few weeks at a time while working on the same poem. My current choice is the Jams 1980 album Sound Effects. And that's actually what I do as well. It's Brian Fallon's new album has been soundtracking book seven, which I'm currently like vibing and researching about. You just get your one record. You just keep playing in that if that's what works for your brain. Nagra says when in the dining room I might type the first draft of a poem I've been constructing in my head over hours, days or in some cases a year. More often though I'll be looking through the tiny bits of paper covered in my minuscule black bit handwriting that have been squashed in the front pocket of my rucksack. These tend to be notes for an emerging poem that's been in my head which I've made when out and about. I place this mass of notes in a pile by my laptop and type them up to create the poem or use them to edit existing poems. This process is exhausting yet exciting, as I hope my fragments will turn into something permanent. I think I prefer to use little bits of scrap paper rather than a notebook, as it feels less final, more disposable. So now we've thought a little bit about Nagra, let's have a little think about the characters in the poem. So Mr Sink Senior, my daddy, who owns the shops, we don't know much about Nagra's actual dad, but assuming some of his work is semi-autobiographical, Google and search up, my brother and I loved it when the old man returned home legless. It's on The Guardian and it's a short story about, well, what you'd expect, relationship between someone and their old man. It's coming, if it's not the same biographical link, it's coming from the same universe. You know, I don't know if you watch American Horror Story, but all these series are set in the same universe, the Marvel universe. Uh, my brother and I loved it when my old man returned home legless, is in the sing-song universe and I think you really enjoy it. I'd love to read it to you now, but it's blooming long and has some cuss words in it, which obviously I would never do on the radio. So check that out. 
we also want to think about both Mr. Singh Senior and Mr. Singh, the topics of this poem. In the context of their faith, Singh is a Sikh surname. If you have the surname Sikh or Kaur, K-A-U-R, that's the feminine version. That is part of the Sikh tradition. And I was looking for someone who could be like a contemporary of Nagra who could shed a bit of light on this. Uh, the journalist Satnam Sangira has written a really, really amazing memoir called The Boy with the Top Knot about growing up as a young Sikh man in the 70s, 80s, loving pop music and like his issues with coming to terms with his identity. He talks about the weddings quite a lot because, as we can tell in Sing Song, it's all my bride, my bride. We're assuming this romance is quite fresh. But actually, as Satnam Sangira says, it's kind of part of this culture that he grew up in, which is slightly alien to me. He says Sikhs, you see, are, and there's no better word for it, crazy for matrimony. For people of my parents' generation in particular, a wedding is more than just an occasion at which two people agree to commit to each other in the spirit of mindless optimism. It's an occasion at which two families are united forever, an expression of a mother and father's devotion to their child, an exposition of izat, honour, that most intense of Punjabi feelings, and the fulfilment of a sacred duty. The numbers tell the story. Sikhs have the second highest rate of marriage of all religious groups at 59.2%, after Hindus at 60.8%, and the lowest proportion of people who've never married, 27.8%. The average wedding apparently now costs in the region of 25 grand. And he wrote that book uh, two years ago, so that's 25 grand in today's money. Like Bollywood movies, Sikh weddings aren't meant to be analysed. They're simply exercises in escapism and showing off, a mindless, albeit heartfelt, amalgamation of influences from different cultures. Not that understanding this makes them easier to endure. I find weddings in general onerous for the compulsion to have fun, for the persistent refusal of any of the pretty girls to flirt or even acknowledge me in any way whatsoever. Alright, alright, Sangira really, really does not like weddings. <laughs> But it makes us think about my bride. So are they still in this like honeymoon phase? Are they, you know, in this culture of always thinking about weddings, maybe going to weddings? And it reminds our speaker, oh, that, that bride is over there, but this one's my bride. I mean, Sangira makes Sikh weddings seem very, very vibrant, very, very exciting. And I'm absolutely sure they are. But that contrasts with how boring <laughs> the day-to-day -day existence of Mr. Singh must be be because i mean anyone who's done customer service will tell you like it's not exciting it's not exciting i've worked i've done customer service when i was younger and i would not recommend it well kind of would because like it makes you appreciate how much people who are in customer service do for you but in general boring as and that's why we've got this interesting contrast like thoughts of their wonderful wedding as opposed to how tedious their day is. So, I was thinking about this. When Mr. Singh is downstairs, the bride is on the web playing with the mouse. She's netting two cats on her Sikh lover site. And I was thinking about this. I was like, cats, mice, all right. He's making a pun. He's talking about computer mouse and then an image of a cat, cat and mouse, ha ha. Yeah, 
yeah, whatever. But her Sikh lover site, I initially thought she was cheating. And like, she's on like the equivalent of Tinder and he's downstairs working. But no, she has set herself up as a matchmaker. So if there aren't any eligible Sikhs in your area and that's who you want to marry, you can talk to a matchmaker and they'll be able to set you up with someone who meets your or your family's requirements. In that memoir, The Boy in the Top Knot, he talks about this a lot. So we can argue the bride is kind of capitalising on love. Now she's a married woman, she can do the same for other people and help them share their joy. Or just like Mr. Singh, she's sitting there thinking about love and marriage all the time, the same way that he is. The bride wears a tartan sari and has a red crew cut. Now, have this image in your head. She sounds like a punk rocker. She sounds like she's wearing them uh, red Sid Vicious bondage trousers and she's got her hair cut really short and is bright red. She is not a typical Sikh lady. She's not a traditional Indian lady. Just like Singh and just like Nagra's trying to show in this whole collection, she is between two cultures as well. She's acting like a punk, primarily white, which is actually really sad I wish the scene was more inclusive what you do and she's in this situation where she's effing in Punjabi at the mum and dad she's as trapped as he is down in the shop but her release is to get other people to be in love all right my other question is they're newlyweds all right newlyweds living with the parents it's not an ideal situation why don't they just get some privacy you know why do they have to like steal these moments you know the mom and dad know that they're married and they're well within the right to share a bedroom or whatever you know as uh <laughs> nagra charmingly puts it like rowing through putney this is also a sikh thing uh at least according to sangira he says that sikh culture in his experience frowns upon public displays of affection he actually says my mother would have a heart attack if one of my siblings kissed their spouse in front of her let alone a stranger so they're forced to go downstairs they're forced to like have this just couple of moments where they really can display their affection but the fact that they want to like kiss and cuddle and say how much does the moon cost or whatever shows that they're not necessarily obeying the rules either because they want to have that affection but then again also they know that they can't have it in public and I get it, I get it. He's trying to display this happy love as compared with two different cultures' expectations. And the whole like, your lemons are limes. Yeah, yeah. Customers, customers are terrible. Customers are the worst, guys. <laughs> I mean, I know that we're all customers sometimes, but really. And I guess if he set out to make a happy love poem, there is conflict in it. And if you're one of these people that's listening to this show or one of these people that's like making webs between the poems of where can I make my link when I've got to do my GCSE comparison. By the way, the trick is they all link together. There is a, there's some are better than others, but you can link any of them. There is conflict in this poem between the expectations placed on Singh and Mrs Singh by their own culture, by other people's cultures, by their separation. But on the other hand, it kind of stands alone. You could argue the end of Winter Swans is happy, but 
I don't know. Uh, Winter Swans, I'm going to talk about next episode, by the way. And you will realise why I'm like, to Winter Swans. So there you go. Bit of a shorter one this time. Just running you through the old sing song. So I had to make an executive decision about how I'm going to finish this series. Some of the poems, Letters from Yorkshire, Winter Swans and Climbing My Grandfather don't actually have that much context, if you're honest. Like, essentially, it's just it's just what you think it is. It's just a thing. So, my next episode is going to be uh, Winter Swans, Letters from Yorkshire and Climbing My Grandfather combined and that will round off our series, Series 4. Nice. Remember, I am Catherine STR8 Talk English on Twitter, straighttalkingenglish.co.uk if you would like to watch some videos, click support the show to buy me a coffee or purchase any of the fine full context books and believe me they are very good i know i wrote them so i hope you have a lovely day i hope you enjoy this continuing heat wave or maybe it won't be a heat wave when this goes out and next lesson next lesson not a lesson it's a podcast next episode we are going to round off series four and i will be announcing series five catch you later (laughs) 